Tonight what I want to do is just talk about some things that God did in my life. And I wish I had um, another week or two to share on this because, man, there's just no way that you can cram all of this into one thing. I'm just going to hit some highlights. But, you know, one of the things that happened in my life, the thing that actually jump-started my whole relationship with God, I was born again when I was eight years old. And I was truly born again. I was made fun of the day after I got born again in the third grade for being a Christian. It was obvious. People could tell that I was saved. And I love the Lord and I have zero doubt that if I would have died prior to being 18 years old that I'd have gone to be with the Lord. I love the Lord. I was, I've been separated unto God from my mother's womb and I have zero doubt about that. But on March the 23rd, 1968, I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord. And it's a long story. But basically what happened was I saw that God loved me. Now, prior to this time, I believed God loved me. If you would have asked, does God love me? I would have said yes. I mean, I thought I understood the love of God. But man, there was a radical difference between saying that I understood that God loved me and experiencing the tangible love of God. I read the uh, biography of uh, Finney. And Finney, the night that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he said it was like waves of liquid love flowing over him. And that's pretty close to what I was experiencing. For four and a half months, I was just gone someplace. Man, I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. And in relationship to faith... You know, this is my life instantly, boom, just like that. My life was a flip-flop. I mean, instantly. I was already born again. But when I saw that God Almighty loved me, and it wasn't just a doctrine, I knew it. I knew it in my knower that God loved me. Did you know the next day I was reading Scripture and scriptures that I had read and in the Baptist church, we were, it was masterful the way that we were able to explain things away. We would read Acts chapter 3 about how that Jesus healed the man at the gate of the temple. And we would say that's the way that we were before we got born again. We were all cripples and Jesus has come to give us new life. And now spiritually, emotionally, we can walk and leap and praise God. I read that my entire life and it never dawned on me that that man was physically healed. That may sound strange to you, but honestly, I remember the next day, it's like I had a brand new Bible. The Bible was alive and I realized healing is, I mean, I instantly, I can't explain this to you, but intuitively, I knew that a God who was as real as I had experienced And who loved me. Pure love. I knew that man, it was his will to heal us and to deliver us and set us free. And I wasn't taught that. I was taught that it was God's will for us to be sick. But intuitively, I just knew it. If you know the love of God, then I guarantee you all of a sudden, a lot of things just become super simple. It just changes things. I remember there was a meeting I held right here in Colorado Springs. This has been 20-something years ago. And a man brought his daughter who was in a wheelchair. She was paraplegic. Not only paraplegic, but she was uh, messed up in her mind. She couldn't talk. She couldn't communicate. She was just like a vegetable. She was 12 years old. She was in a wheelchair. She had diapers on. They still had to 
change your diapers. And because I said that it was God's will to heal every single person, every single time, this man got mad and left the meeting. And the man who brought him to the meeting says, you know what, you ought at least wait until after the meeting and ask this guy what he means. Maybe you misunderstood him or maybe he can explain it. So this guy hung around. They came and got me. I went out and talked to him and I started telling him, I said, it's always God's will to heal. And this man was arguing with me. He had scriptures that he stood on because that would have condemned him in his way of thinking. It would have meant that they weren't appropriating everything that was available, that in a sense, it's their fault that their daughter was like that. They could have done something about it. They could have believed. So he was using it as a defense to say that God made her this way and he was twisting scriptures. I believed he was twisting scriptures. He believed I was twisting scriptures. And we got into a little argument over scriptures and I got to countering his interpretation and he was countering mine. And this guy was already mad at me. And he, it was going nowhere. And I just looked at him and his, I was standing in front of the wheelchair and he was standing behind the wheelchair with his daughter. And I just looked at him and I said, what kind of father are you that doesn't want your daughter healed? I said, you don't even love your daughter. Boy, this guy just about throttled me. He got mad and he says, you and he, he says, I would do anything for my daughter. He says, if there was a treatment for her, he says, I would spend any amount of money. I'd go anywhere. He says, if I could, I would literally become like her so that she could be like me. And he just was so violent. He says, how dare you say that I don't love my daughter? I, there is nothing. There is nothing that she could have ever done that would have kept me from healing her. He says, I love her so much, I'd do anything. And I just looked at him and I said, and you think God Almighty loves your daughter less than you do. And you know what? We argued doctrine. We had done a lot of things. But when I put it like that, it just instantly dropped every argument he had. He looked at me and started crying and he says, there's no way that God loves her less than I do. And if God loves her even as much as I do, he says, it has to be God's will for her to be healed. Did you know doctrine would straighten out if we understood love? For people to say that God loves you so much that God wants you to suffer, they don't know God. To say that God loves you so much that God's the one that put the cancer in you because he's going to teach you something. A parent would never do that to their child. Sure, we correct our children, but there's a right and a wrong way to correct them. You spank them on their bottom. That's the reason God gave them that padding. But you don't slap them upside the head, push them off of a cliff, make them have a car wreck, do something because you're trying to teach them a lesson. Any civilized nation on the face of the earth would arrest a person for doing something like that. And yet people are blaming God and saying God is the source of your problem. God wants you to suffer. And you know what? It's because they don't know that God is love. The church will say, oh yeah, God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave. And then they'll preach love and then they'll turn around. And if you don't do this and this and this, God is going to smite you. They don't understand the love of God. I don't know how to say this. You know, it's 
hard to convince a person who hasn't really had a supernatural, God-given revelation of God's love. But once you understand the love of God, and I mean experience it in a supernatural way, faith just immediately starts working. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says that in Christ Jesus, circumcision nor uncircumcision doesn't avail anything but faith which works by love. Faith is quickened by love. The love of God, understanding the love of God, is to me the greatest key to operating in faith. Let me share a scripture with you out of Ephesians chapter 3. This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 14, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That's what I was talking about earlier. It's wonderful to have feeling. It's wonderful to have sensations and lightning and fireworks and stuff. But you know what? God is going to dwell. That means abide on a consistent basis by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Notice that there's dimension to the love of God. A person who says, oh yeah, I know that God loves me, but there, there is depth. There is height, there's length, there's breadth to that 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 most Christians have not entered into. And I tell you, you need to see and experience the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth. I'm not saying that I've understood the love of God completely, but I am saying I have understood it to a degree that it's transformed my life and is continuing to transform my life. And it's now 36 years later, and I have never, ever, ever, ever gotten over what God has done. It has revolutionized my life. So I I don't claim that I've experienced all of it. There's more than what I've understood, but I'm saying that it's changed my life to a dramatic degree. And notice in verse 19, it says, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It says to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. How can that be? How can you know something if it passes knowledge? This is talking about know in the scriptural sense of the word where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and that she conceived. Cain knew his wife and she conceived. It's talking about an experiential type of knowledge, intimacy. If you would experience the love of Christ, that passes mere knowledge about the love of Christ. And it goes on to say that the results of that is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. Any person who doesn't feel filled, is that the right way to say that? If you don't feel filled, then you don't know the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of the love of God. Because when you know it, it 
causes you to be filled with the fullness of God. If there's a lack in your life, if you aren't rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory, you aren't walking in the love of God. You may have in in your head that God loves you, but you aren't experiencing the love of God. You may have knowledge of it, but you aren't experiencing it, or I can guarantee you, you would be filled with the fullness of God. That is so simple. And you know, here is where I separate from a lot of people. A lot of people that, you know, we're close and love and everything. But because of my revelation of God's love, and even when I don't feel it and am not having an emotional high because of my belief and abiding in it, I can truthfully say that for 36 years, and I know some of you are going to struggle with this, but for 36 years, I have not been empty. I haven't been depressed. I haven't given up. Now, I've been tempted with all of those things. I've felt every one of those emotions. I've given you the testimony about my son that was raised from the dead. I felt everything that anybody else would have felt, but within 10 minutes... 15 minutes of feeling all of those things, I recognize this isn't the way I want to feel. This isn't consistent with a God who loves me. I was beginning to feel anger like, God, how could you let this happen? I was beginning to see what it would be like to be without my son and know that his life didn't go the way that prophecies had said, and I was beginning to see that and anticipate the grief and the sorrow attached to that. And I was beginning to see all these things and it was all inconsistent with the love that God had shown me. So within 10 or 15 minutes of these things trying to overwhelm me, I just started praising God for God. You are a good God. God, you love me. Father, you did not kill my son. You did not let this happen. You do not control these things. And as I started worshiping him and just loving God, I mean, it's just like Dave's talking about that turbocharger kicking in and the spirit of might and all of these things. As I begin to just dwell in the love of God, man, I guarantee you faith rose up on the inside of me. And I knew that I knew that I knew that that was not going to be the end of this story. And praise God, our son was raised from the dead. But you know what? It's all because of the love of God. And I can truthfully say I've had things come against me. And I know that some people, I don't know how, I don't, this is just my testimony. You can argue with me if you want to. But this is my testimony. That since I knew that God loved me, I have never, ever been totally desperate, fearful, defeated, discouraged. It ended that stuff. Just knowing that God loves me has changed my life. I've never gotten over it. 36 years. And I've had problems. I've had a lot of times. There's times that I'm more aware of it than I should be. There are times that I realize, you know what? You're straying from the very thing that has changed your life. And so I go back and build myself up and encourage myself. And I I get criticism because people say, well, you're saying that you are perfect and that you never have any problems. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that God's love is such a dominant force. I know that I know that God loves me that I have never been normal since.
And when I'm saying, what I'm saying is that if you become normal and if you just run up a white flag and if you're depressed and if you're defeated and if you're fearful and if you want to quit, then you know what? You just don't know how much God loves you. I'm not administering condemnation with it, but I'm saying if you knew how much God loved you, faith works by love. Anytime faith is deficient, love is deficient. If you would focus on how much God loves you, I guarantee you, you can keep yourself built up. You can keep yourself encouraged. Look at this passage in Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude chapter 1. Verse 20, here's a passage of scripture we often use, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We take that verse and we teach about that when you pray in tongues, that you are building up yourself on your most holy faith, your highest level of faith. And so we talk about praying in tongues is essential for operating in the highest form of faith. And I subscribe to that 100%. Our Bible college students that are here, the first year students, I just taught on this last week or the week before, and we talked about this very thing. So I agree with that. But you know what? That's not the end of the verse. Now we've got to see the end of the verse, but it's not the end of the sentence. It says in verse 20, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This scripture doesn't tell you to pray and beg God to pour out his love and to touch you and to do something brand new. It says, keep yourself in the love of God through praying in the Holy Ghost and building up yourself on your most holy faith. You know, you don't have to ask God to pour out his love on you. God has already commended his love towards you. And this whole idea of somehow or another, God's up there with his hand on the spigot and he controls how much joy, how much love, how much anointing, how much victory that you have in your life. And if you are deficient in any of these areas, then you go to asking God, oh God, turn up the power. Oh God, give me more. Oh God, do something else. I believe that that whole attitude, you just don't understand how infinitely God loves you. It's never God that turns down the anointing. It's never God that takes away his presence. It's never God who removes some of his love because you've done something wrong. It's never God who turns away from you. If you you believe that, and I understand there's reasons why we believe this, because we've been taught it for generations, and this is the dominant view in the church. But I'm telling you, if you ever see how pure... God's love is, how unconditional His love is, you will get rid of that kind of thinking. If you ever go to not feeling as much joy as you felt, you don't have to ask God to touch you and do something new to produce the joy. You don't have to call Brother Dave. All you got to do is start believing. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, but believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you aren't rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory, you aren't believing in the love that God has for you and what He's done. Thank you for that one. Woo! 
I know that this goes contrary to a lot of things, but you know what? God's already done it. And if you want to be in the love of God, build up yourself, pray in tongues and keep yourself in the love of God. Go to telling yourself about the love of God. You know, when I first saw this, that God loved me, I knew it. I knew that I knew that I knew that God carried my picture in his wallet. Man, God loved me. And to my surprise, not everybody else was as excited about that as I was. I got up the next morning and testified in my Baptist church that, man, I had an encounter. God loves me. I am filled with the Holy Spirit the same way that the Apostle Paul was or whatever. You would have thought people would have been excited over that. They weren't. If I would have committed adultery, they would have treated me better than for me to say that. I mean, the pastor of the church, leaders of the church came against me. Who do you think you are that God loves you the way he loves the apostle Paul? I knew it. That's what God had released in my heart. I didn't hear it in an audible voice. I just knew. I accepted and experienced pure love and I knew that God loved me as much as he had ever loved anybody on the face of the earth and it just made sense to me. But all of a sudden I came under all this criticism. I didn't have an answer for it. I didn't know what to tell them. And so people begin to criticize me and I begin to start being told that you're of the devil. That's not an experience from God. I begin to start being criticized over everything. And you know what? I was only 18 years old. And here were people that had been to cemetery, seminary and they were supposed to know better. And they were in authority and I wasn't a rebellious kid. And you know what? Immediately I began to start questioning, is this really God? And I knew in my heart it was, but I began to start having doubt in my head. And I remember one of the very first things I did within months of the Lord speaking to me, I would stand in front of a mirror and I'd have these thoughts bombarding my head that how could God love you? You're a sinner. Look what you've done. And all of the religious teaching that had come my way was just bombarding me. But I'd look in a mirror and I'd point my finger and I'd say, God loves you. God has told you. And I'd preach to myself. I'd talk to myself. Sometimes I'd scream to myself to overcome the thoughts that I had that were contrary to that. And I kept myself in the love of God. That was three and a half years before I spoke in tongues. It was three and a half years after I believe I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues because I was a Baptist. And so I had a lot of hangups, but I believe I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And prior to even speaking in tongues, I kept myself in the love of God by just sheer guts and force. I was not going to let anybody talk me out of the fact that God Almighty loved me. And I did a lot of stupid things. I did things. I got in fights with the uh, youth director of our church. He was going to take a vote and vote me out of the church. He said that I was of the devil and I got right in his face and I said, I grew up in this church, buddy. You've been here a year. Take a vote. We'll vote you out. I got right in his face. And you know, God told me I was wrong and I had to go to repent. But even though I knew I was wrong and I didn't always operate in things the way I should, you know what? I just kept saying, I know that God loves me. 
And I don't know how to explain it to you, but I have never, ever, ever, for one nanosecond, (laughs) believed that God didn't love me. And because of that, faith has been something that just was naturally there. Now, there's a lot of things I've learned that have helped it and that helped me operate in it and overcome a lot of other things. But I'm saying that this is like a foundation. This is a basis of things. And I believe in my ministry to other people that this is something that's missing in a lot of people's lives. You will perceive the love of God at certain times, but you aren't sold on it. And because of that, it's easy for you to come into condemnation. It's easy for you to give up, quit, get discouraged, depressed, and other things. And it just doesn't have to happen. If you would go back and receive and minister to yourself the love of God, you could reach a place where I guarantee you it would just transform your relationship. So the love of God is a foundation. If you can see the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God, I guarantee you, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. If you aren't filled with the fullness of God, it's not time to go to begging God and ask God for something new. It's time for you to go back to meditating on what the Word says and believing it and stirring yourself up and keeping yourself in the love of God. And another thing that was super important is just actually a clarification of one of these things, that the love of God is unconditional. And that's super important. This is not what our religious system is teaching today. Our religious system is teaching that God's love for you is conditional. And they will, there will be variations on this. Sometimes people will say, well, once you get born again, God loves you. And regardless of what you do, you're going to go to heaven. But God's not going to bless you if there is any sin, unrighteousness, if you aren't doing all of these things. God is not going to fellowship with you. You might lose your fellowship if you aren't doing things. Well, I'll agree with this, that fellowship is affected by your performance, but not because God turns away from you because of negative performance. It's you that turned your back on God and through your dullness and not focusing on God, it is true that your fellowship with God goes down. But again, God's love is so pure. It is so powerful towards you that God has never turned away from a single one of you for an instant. I don't care if you're living with shacking up with prostitutes. I don't care if you are living in hatred and unforgiveness. God has never left you a single second. He's been with you through every rotten thing you've ever drug him through. He will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Again, God's love is infinitely greater than our love is for other people. And I remember telling my kids when they'd do something and then they'd come back, I'm sorry, and could you forgive me? And I've told my kids, I said, you know what? There's things I don't approve of. There's things that I don't trust you with because you haven't earned my trust. I'm not going to turn over the farm to you and give you the ability to destroy it until you prove yourself faithful. But I've told both my kids, I said, there isn't anything you could ever do that would make me not love you. I'll never quit loving you. You can't do something that would make me quit loving you. Jamie's exactly the same way. Man, we've had some rotten things happen. And right in the midst of it, Jamie told Peter, says, Peter, I love you as he was doing his worst to her. You know what? There's nothing 
that'll make me quit loving my kids. Now, I may be grieved over seeing what they're doing, but I'll never quit loving them. And if I can treat my kids that way, how much more can God treat us that way? But see, religion is not teaching us this. Religion is teaching us that God's relationship with us is based on performance. God loves us when we perform well and God is angry at us. God is liable to let you die of cancer because you are sinning and God isn't going to answer your prayer if you've got any sin in your life. We teach that you can't get filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm saying we. Hopefully, those of you in here don't do this, but I'm saying religion as a whole teaches that if there's any sin in your life, God won't fill a dirty vessel I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. We're just all in varying degrees of dirtiness. I may not be as dirty as you are, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? You know, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God doesn't love us based on our performance. And you know, I was talking with Arthur uh, Manches. Is that the way you say his name? From, From Africa, South Africa. And we were discussing some stuff and I was telling him about my relationship and what God had done. And Arthur said one of the most profound things I believe that I've ever heard. We were talking about why don't people understand grace? Why do they fight against grace? And he said that he doesn't believe a person can fully embrace grace and have it change their life until they come to the end of themselves. And man, I have been meditating on that for a year. And I believe that that is absolutely true. As long as you think that you have any ability to please God and to earn God's favor. And that the reason God chose you and called you to the ministry is because you are so talented you are such a sharp person. You have so many gifts and you, you are, you know, what a wise choice, God. I can see the wisdom in you calling me. As long as you think that way, you will never totally embrace the grace of God because you don't feel, you don't feel it's necessary. You feel that you can handle it. God, you get me introduced and I can handle it from here. God, you open up the doors, put me on the platform and I can see the wisdom in you choosing me. What a great choice. Man, God, I am so awesome. I understand now why you've called me to the ministry. As long as you feel that way, you will never be totally dependent upon the grace of God. You have to come to the end of yourself. And you know, this is exactly what happened in my life. Some of you have heard me talk about this. But on March the 23rd, 1968, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was born again, and I really did love God. But I had believed that God was going to accept me and bless me and move in my life proportional to my performance. That's what I thought. And because of that, I was real proud of my performance because I had performed better than anybody else that I knew. You know, I remember when I was about 10 years old, we were in a training union. That's what they called Sunday night service uh, in the Baptist church. And we were having somebody teach on prayer. And they were trying to make a point about, you know what, we don't pray the way that we should. And so they were saying, how many of you pray every day? There's probably 30 kids in the class. And out of that, you know, maybe 10 or 15 of us held our hand up. And they said, all right, so how much do you pray every day? How many of you pray 
you know, a minute every day. And a few of us held our hand up. How many of you pray five minutes a day? You know what? At, the, at 30 minutes a day, if I remember correctly, I still had my hand up. I was the only one. I prayed 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, since I've, I can't remember not praying. I've never gone, well, I guess recently I've gone a day without reading my Bible, but probably for the first 40 years I never went a day without reading my Bible. You know what? I was performing better than most people. And because of this, I was real smug about it, but I I didn't have any power in my life. I didn't have the real joy in my life. I didn't have anything going for me, but... I kept comparing myself with other people thinking, well, I'm getting close and I would go down and, and plead with God and do things. And I was self-righteous and I was looking down my nose at other people. I was real condemning of other people until that night, March the 23rd, 1968. And I can't tell you all the reasons, but just supernatural. It's like God pulled a curtain back and all of a sudden I saw myself the way I was compared to God. And you know, even though I've never said a cuss word in my life, never taken a drink of liquor, never smoked a cigarette, never done what most people consider wrong, I can guarantee you, and some of you won't believe this, but I believe it with all of my heart, there's not a person in here that has ever felt worse about yourself, has ever recognized that you're a sinner any more than I did. I saw myself from God's standpoint. I saw myself as vile in His sight. And I don't believe that God did that to hurt me, but I was just self-righteous. And He needed to give me a relative opinion about my carnal self so that I would quit being self-righteous. And He showed me that I was a stink in His nostrils. I led four or five people every week of my life to the Lord. I was recognized, stood up in front of the church. I taught classes on how to be a soul winner and on and on. And to make that even worse or or more dramatic or more important, I was an introvert that couldn't look at a person in the face. And yet because of the condemnation and the guilt about you got to do a work for God, I went out and I was leading four and five people every week of my life to the Lord knocking on doors two or three nights a week, doing all of this stuff and the whole time just hating it and miserable on the inside. And I was doing it because of the pat on the back that I got thinking that eventually I was going to do something that would make God love me. But in that instant, God pulled back a veil and I saw myself as ungodly, unholy in my natural self. I'm not talking about my spirit, but in my natural self. I saw myself from God's standpoint and I hated myself in a way that probably none of you have ever been condemned or felt bad. And again, I know some of you think, oh man, you don't know. But again, when God shows you something, I believe it's, uh, I believe I've seen myself as ungodly as any person in here. And the thing that turned my life around was after I spent an hour and a half turning myself inside out, confessing my every cotton-picking thing I've ever done wrong and my attitudes and my thoughts and ungodliness in front of the music director, the educational director, the youth director, all of the leaders of the church. After I did all of that, 
And I mean, I exposed myself. There was no way anybody was ever going to be impressed with me again. Because they saw my innermost thoughts. And after I did that, I thought God was going to kill me. Because when I saw how bad I was, I thought that's the first time God had ever seen it. I honestly thought God was going to kill me. I really did. Some of you think, oh, it couldn't be. Well, I really thought God was going to kill me. And I was just confessing it and getting it right before I died. And to my surprise, instead of God killing me is when all of a sudden I felt pure love and pure acceptance. And the contrast, it was not only the fact that I knew that God loved me, but I knew that God's love for me had zippo zilch, nada to do with any goodness on my part. That's the thing that really transformed my life. It's one thing to think that God loves you and as long as you believe that you are a lovely person, then you know what? You aren't going to really understand the depths of God's love because there's going to be times you aren't a lovely person. And when you aren't lovely and when you're acting rotten, you will lose your perception of God's love because you think it's proportional. It's because of your goodness. And every one of us is going to act rotten at some time or another. But when I saw that God's love for me, pure, total acceptance, was absolutely unconditional, that's the thing that I've never gotten over. And I had to renew my mind and I had that old Baptist doctrine creep in and I had to fight through it. And it took me about three years before I began to get a handle on it and began to understand some things. But I can guarantee you that it was the unconditional nature of God's love for me that has always transformed my life. And I believe that that's essential that you get that. Until you literally come to the end of yourself and recognize that there is zero worth and value in your carnal self. I don't believe you can fully appreciate and appropriate God's love. Grace to you is going to be something you use when you fail. But when you think you're doing okay, you will get to where you trust in yourself. And I tell you, you've got to move beyond that. It's an asset, really, to be a nothing. It really is. The Lord chose foolish things, base things, things that are despised, things that are nothing to bring to naught things that are, so that no flesh would glory in His presence. You know what? If you are a person that is still impressed with your great abilities, then you aren't going to appropriate God's grace, except when you reach the end of your limits. And what you don't realize is that what God's called us to do is never within your limits. It's not according to your ability. God's called you to do things that are beyond human ability. You know, I was talking with Jim Baker. I think Jim Baker's back there on the back row. But Jim, I don't know him, but just sitting down here the other night, the Lord just showed me he is a super intellectual. And I started saying some things and he loves to study He's always been a great student, went through seminary and did great and all of this stuff. But he was telling me that God is teaching him to talk out of his heart instead of out of his head. And you know, it's a simple truth that people can tell the difference when you're speaking from your spirit to their spirit versus from your head to their head. 
And God has called us to communicate from heart to heart, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And you know what? A lot of, That just is not humanly possible. It is humanly impossible for you to touch a person on heart level with just human knowledge, speaking ability, polish, talents, and stuff like that. God wants us to minister from a supernatural spirit realm. And if you think that you can do it through your great ability, that is precisely the reason that you're failing. Again, it's my personal opinion, and you may disagree with this, but I believe that all burnout is, which you hear a lot about at a minister's conference or something, all burnout is, is people that are trying to do the right thing out of their ability, out of their talent. They're trusting in themselves instead of letting a supernatural flow come through them. When God is flowing through you, when it's God ministering through you, man, it doesn't drain you. It doesn't destroy you. It doesn't defeat you and discourage you. It encourages you. It's just the opposite. God has called every one of us to do things that are literally beyond our ability. In the second chapter of the book of John, the first time that Jesus was in Jerusalem after His proclamation by John the Baptist that He was the Lamb of God, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, to draw all men unto Him. That was the purpose of Jesus' coming. And when He was in Jerusalem, He performed miracles, and it says multitudes believed on Him when they saw the miracles. But the next verse says, but... Jesus did not commit himself to any of them because he knew what was in man and needed not that any man should testify of him. Again, that's not the way that the church predominantly operates. We find somebody who's talented, got recognition, fame, or whatever, and we use their carnal assets and think, what a great spokesman for God, and we shove them to the forefront in total violation of what he said about don't put a novice in a position of authority. And it's because we're carnal. And we are thinking that if we just get somebody that's popular up there to speak for the Lord, everybody's going to flow. Not realizing that it's not your talents, not your ability, not your looks, not your fame, not your credit, not your accomplishments that are going to draw people to God but it has to be the Spirit of the Lord God. And that has to be supernatural. And it isn't just natural. It has to be God Almighty speaking through us. You cannot minister to people in yourself. You cannot reach people because of your great talents and ability. And if you've got great talents and ability, then that becomes a stumbling block for you. It's not that God is against people with talents and ability. It's just that people with talents and abilities tend to think that, God, I can handle it from here. You have to be a hick from Texas to totally recognize, God, I hadn't got a chance. I need you. Amen. Not literally, but I'm saying you have to be somebody who has come to the end of yourself before you really go to drawing on the grace of God and dwelling in the grace of God. Man, that's awesome. And so you have to come to the end of yourself. Whether you have the experience exactly the way I did or not, you have to come to a place to where you recognize that, God, I am not an asset to you in my physical self. 
God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. You're going to be the first. The real benefit that you have to God is that you're breathing. As long as you're breathing, that gives you the ability to represent him on the earth. That's what qualifies you. It's like Dave was saying about the man this morning. If you're a great sinner, you qualify, amen. If you're breathing, you qualify. But you know what? If you're somebody special in your natural self, you disqualified yourself. You'll never draw on the grace of God and be totally dependent on the unconditional love and grace of God as long as you think that you have something, talents and abilities to really offer God. Now, all of that being said, that's not saying that God's against somebody who does have natural good looks, talents, charisma, or whatever, but you have to surrender it to God. You have to lay it down. I remember hearing Kenneth Copeland. You know, he was a singer before he got born again, and he used to sing in bars, and he liked his voice and thought he had a talent, but when he got born again, God made him lay that down. I forget, I think it was 13 years or something like that, that he would not let Kenneth Copeland sing after he got born again, and it grieved him. He prayed about it a lot, and finally, he just came to the place to think, you know what? I'm just never going to sing because God doesn't want it. And he was willing to lay it down and says, God, I'll never sing again. And when he got through promoting himself and thinking, God, you're really missing a great opportunity of not having me sing. When he got beyond himself, then God gave it back to him. And now he sings and glorifies God because he knows that it's God that is the source of it and the glory goes to him. God can use your talents and abilities, but only if they're surrendered to him and subservient and recognizing that God, it's not because I deserve it. It's the grace of God. And I can tell you, if you're a person that the grace of God just does not overwhelm you and you just are not tremendously excited about the unconditional love and grace and mercy of God, it's because you're a person that hadn't reached the end of yourself. And you still are under the deception of thinking that you can handle it. All you need is a little help. I heard a woman on television one time interviewed and she says, I wasn't like everybody else It was desperate and my life was falling apart. She said, my life was great. I was a millionaire. I had all of this. I was social. I had good looks. This woman was on the 700 Club bragging on who she was. And she said, my life was great. And Jesus just kind of provided the icing on the cake. When I heard that, I thought, you know what? I'm not sure that woman got born again. That's not the way it is, brothers and sisters. And if you think that it is, it's just because you haven't seen a relative comparison between you and the sinless, perfect standard that God intended for us to occupy. So you know what? It's the love of God that makes everything work in your life. I've used this example before, but when I was a kid, we used to play a game we called uh, sheep and wolves. Other people call it different things, but the same type of thing that you'd chase people. And we had a tree that was our safe place. As long as you were touching that tree, that was your home base and the wolf couldn't get you. But if he got, if he caught you, then he would put you on the back porch, which was his den. And you would have to stay there until one of the other sheep came and touched you. So he had to, 
you know, decide between guarding the den or going out and trying to catch the other sheep. And if you could lure him away, then somebody would come in and touch him and you'd get out. But anyway, if this guy started to catch you, all you had to do was head for that tree, man, and that was your safe place. And uh, you never got too far from that place. And anytime you got in trouble, you beat a beeline for that tree. And as long as you're touching that tree, you're safe. And you know what? That's the way I feel about the love of God. Anytime I get into trouble, anytime pressure comes on me, just like I was talking about when my son died and other things, you know what I do? I just go back to, oh God, you love me. I know that you love me. And I just crawl back into the love of God. And instantly my faith rises My joy rises. My security rises. Everything in my life straightens out. And I just never, ever, ever get very far at all from the fact that God Almighty loves me. Man, I just dwell there. That's my safe place. Awesome. And you know, the good news is God loves every last one of us. It's not a fact that God has done something for me that He hasn't done for anybody else. That's not it. Every one of us. I don't understand the love of God near like I should. I believe that there's greater heights, depths, lengths, and breadths to the love of God. But I can guarantee you God loves every one of us infinitely more than we've ever understood. And it's not God who hasn't communicated it. Romans chapter 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given unto us. You couple that with Jude chapter 1 verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God through praying in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's mission is to show you God's love. If that be true, and it says keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Holy Ghost, then all you got to do is just pray in the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Spirit do His work, and you can get yourself a revelation of the love of God. Sounds too simple, but it's just that true. Build yourself up. If you aren't excited about how much God loves you, then encourage yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 30, David, after 13 years of running from Saul, came back home and his city was burnt. His wives and children were taken captive. His own men spoke of stoning him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself. And you know how he did it? He turned to the ephod and began to inquire of God. That would be the equivalent of us turning to the word of God and beginning to take God's word and just ministering to yourself. I've got hundreds of scriptures that God has spoken to me about his love and about his unconditional love. And you know what? I go back and review those scriptures. I go back and think on those scriptures. If I ever begin to lose my joy, my excitement, my love, I encourage myself and get myself back where I need to be. I think some people feel like, well, that's me doing it. Well, it is. It's you keeping yourself in the love of God. But it's all based on the word. I'm not just taking anything. I'm not making up statements about myself. I'm going to back to what God has said about me. And I encourage myself with it. And the Holy Spirit bears witness. And I guarantee I'm just one happy guy. I am one blessed guy. I am never discouraged. I have discouragement come, but the love of God negates it. It breaks it. 
And it's not popular to say that because you're supposed to be compassionate. And it's in us admitting all of our failures that people can relate to us and stuff. Well, I'm sorry. But that's my testimony and I'm sticking to it. Amen. I don't believe that God intended the Christian life to be like a yo-yo, up and down and up and down and conference to conference and one experience to another. You know, I was at a major minister's conference with thousands of people there. They asked me to speak and I spoke right along these lines. I was talking about how to keep yourself built up in the Lord. The four keys to staying full of God. I taught on that. People came down, Linus was with me. People came down by the hundreds to recognize that it's not just up to them to plead and do this. Man, just build yourself up. Take the word of God. Minister the love of God to yourself. Hundreds of ministers came down and received that prayer. The very next person that got up is a very famous person that I love. He's a great guy, good friend of mine. I just differ on this one thing. He got up and began to start talking. And he, did, he wasn't there for my message, so he didn't know what I'd said. He got up and started talking about all of the books he had ever written were all in the flesh. They weren't of God. He had some of the biggest bestsellers. And he told about how that it was just total flesh. It was total carnal. That he had been out preaching and he was so dry himself that he had... Uh, contemplated throwing himself off the balcony of a hotel and killing himself. And everybody was just shocked because this guy's one of the great leaders in the body of Christ. Tremendous guy. And he was talking about how he was running on empty for years and years and years and years and years. And he just showed that everything I've done is total carnal. All of these books that you've bought, they were all out of the flesh. They were outside the will of God. It's not of God and he says, I was getting ready to kill myself. And finally, I just threw myself down before God and said, oh, God, I've got to have something new. And he had an epiphany, a, just a dynamic encounter with the Lord. And now he was different and everything was different. And from now on, it was all going to be different. And, you know, here's the way I believe that that really happened. I don't doubt that the guy was running on empty. I don't doubt that he was just going through the motions. I don't believe, I don't doubt that he was straight as a gun barrel and twice as empty. I don't doubt that that was true. But what's the answer to that? This guy became so desperate that it was, oh God, kill me. Kill me or fill me, but I won't live anymore. And you know what? I believe that when he did that, that he literally pressed into a place to where he broke through. He was so desperate that he just believed, God, I believe it's got to happen tonight. He reached out and appropriated the love of God that was with him all along. But that's not the way he presented it. He presented it that, you know what, he just, God had left him. God had deserted him. And then through his seeking, God all of a sudden came and filled him anew. And as I listened to this guy do that, I thought, you know what? As good as it is right now, and this guy was powerful and full of the joy of the Lord, he's just set himself up for total failure. Because the next time, and there will be a next time that you get off of the mountain and that your emotions all of a sudden leave, 
And instead of just going to the Word and standing on the Word and building himself up, and it is true, you got to be built up and you got to be encouraged. But instead of doing it through the Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to wait until he hits the wall again and is ready to jump off of a balcony before he gets desperate enough. And I can guarantee you, he will go through that cycle again with the theology that he's got. It'll happen. But you know what? You can get to a place where, Father, your word says it, and I know you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You love me intimately, and if I'm not experiencing it, it's not your fault. It's because I'm not dwelling in it, and probably it's because I haven't been dependent upon you. I've thought I could handle it. I've been out doing my own thing, and I just haven't been seeking you with my whole heart. And so you just repent of that. Get back to seeking God with your whole heart, worshiping Him, building yourself up, telling yourself how much God loves you. Encourage yourself. And if you aren't full, get full. You don't have to just wait on God to fill you at some undetermined date. Fill yourself up. And it'll help to come to a conference where other people are speaking in faith and man, there's the joy of the Lord and you're in anointed worship and ministry and these are things that you do to encourage yourself. I guarantee you, I'm different after one of these conferences. It helps me, but it helps me get my focus back to where it should be. It reminds me of things and things like this. It's not because all of a sudden, man, God has done something brand new in my life. I don't know if that'll help you, but these are things that has made my faith. And again, my faith isn't perfect and I'm not the strongest faith person in here, but I can guarantee you I have one of the most consistent joy relationships with God of anybody I know. And I can tell you the way it happens is because of these very things that I'm talking about. I know God loves me. I've experienced it. And because of that, I'm filled with the fullness of God and I know it's totally unrelated to my goodness. And it's certainly not based on my gifts and abilities. And you know, understanding that is just awesome. It's just awesome. It's just wonderful. Praise God. You know, I, I, hope, I hope Tim doesn't mind me sharing this, but Tim Nickerson over here is a good buddy of mine. And he came to Colorado Springs. He had been in ministry before. And so when he came here, he was out of ministry. That was discouraging to him. They came here with financial problems. I mean, severe financial problems. And he started working in a water business, helping some other people. And anyway, he was trying and he was doing everything he knew. But he came one night when we were going to take up an offering. And I had to literally leave because Tim wanted to talk to me. And I think I let Linus take up the offering. And Tim was telling me about this. He was struggling financially. He was struggling because he was out of the ministry with guilt and condemnation. And he was struggling physically. He was having physical problems. And he just told me all of these things that were wrong in his life. And he says, he said, I just can't do it anymore. And I said, good. I said, this is great. And I remember Tim just sobering up like, what? And I said, man, Tim, this is what God's been trying to get across to you for a long time is that you can't do it. I said, now God is able to do it. And you know what, Tim, it touched him. Man, he was, he got a revelation of God's grace. And you know, today, Tim and Bobby are prospering hand over fist. Man, they are blessed coming in and going out. Things are working in their life. And I believe that the turning point 
was because he finally came to a place to where, God, I just can't do it. I need your grace. Amen? And that's what we all need. God will kind of let you do it until you decide you can't do it. And then he'll step in. I remember when my youngest son, Peter, was three years old. He didn't even talk until he was three years old. And I wasn't too concerned about it because our first son, we worked with him. And he was talking at seven months and he never quit. And so I thought, this isn't so bad. My parents took me to the doctor when I was three and a half because I couldn't say anything except mama or daddy. And they thought something was wrong. They uh, examined me and the doctor says, why should he talk? He's got five people that all, I mean, four people. All he has to do is point and grunt and he gets anything he wants. And I remember coming home and this is my memory. I guess I was still using a bottle. It it looked to me like a bottle. But the first thing I ever remember is me wanting a bottle and they set it on top of the refrigerator and they says, you aren't getting it until you say milk. And I sat down in the floor and cried. That's the first thing I can ever remember in my life. And I had to start talking. So anyway, at three years old, Peter wasn't talking. He never even said mama or daddy or anything. And I remember being in Canyon City at the Royal Gorge And we went into a restroom and as we were coming out of the restroom, he grabbed that handle. He was always an independent kid, wanted to do everything on his own. He grabbed that door handle and put his foot on the door, which of course was never going to open with him leveraging against the door. And he got to pulling and, and grunting and he got mad at that door and was giving it everything he had trying to open that door. And I was standing there and he looked up at me and he wanted me to open it. I knew exactly what he wanted, but I was trying to get him to talk. So I said, Peter, I'm not going to do it until you quit and let me do it. And he got mad. He pulled on that thing. And I stood there, it seemed like for an eternity. And finally he just quit and gave up. And when he stepped out of the way, then I opened the door. And as soon as I did that, the Lord spoke to me and he says, you know, that's the way it is with you. As long as you think you can do it, I'll let you do it. But when you quit and give up, then I'll release my power. I've used that a lot of times. You know what? You need to learn to be strong in Him and in the power of His might and not in your might. Understanding God's love for you and specifically His unconditional love for you is a key to faith. Faith works by love. And if you could understand the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of that, I tell you, you would be filled with the fullness of God. I make no apologies for saying that. If you understand and walk in the love of God, you will be filled with the fullness of God. If you aren't filled with the fullness of God, then you don't have a full revelation or either you aren't focused on the revelation God's given you of the love of God. So all you got to do is go back and just minister the love of God to yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God through praying in tongues and building yourself up on your most holy faith. And praise God, we hadn't got an excuse. There may be reasons. Things happen and our attention gets diverted and we quit doing what the Word says. But we don't have an excuse. You can keep yourself in the love of God. You can be as happy as you want to be. You can be as full of God as you want to be. 
You know, it's one of the reasons that I just love ministering with these people because they're never off. There's never a time that they just, well, I just, something happened and I just can't minister. I've been with these guys for 20 years. I've seen terrible situations. I was with Bob and Joy two weeks after Janet went into that coma. And I guarantee you, when I saw Janet, I've never seen a person look that bad in the hospital and be alive. And Bob and Joy were as strong. They came to the minister's conference. It didn't affect the way they ministered. They were still in faith. And I can guarantee you it's not because they felt that way. It's because they believe that way. And they encouraged themselves in the Lord. And they didn't wait on something to come and happen. And they didn't fall apart like a $2 suitcase and just wait on God to do something. I've been with Dave and Bonnie. Of course, they shared some testimonies this this week about what's happened to them. We were with them, I believe, the day after your furniture was seized. And you would have thought that they just won the lottery. They were just rejoicing and praising God. And Bonnie was telling us about the sheriff keeping her cornered over here. And she witnessed to him. And she witnessed to one of the movers, I think. And either he got born again or came back to the Lord. They treated them with kindness and respect. You wouldn't have known that they just had every bed except one in their house taken, their furniture, everything. And most people would just fall apart. You know what? They were just praising God. Bonnie was awesome during that whole thing. I've been with Charlie and Jill all around the world when we're worn out, tired, got problems. I remember before they went with Joyce Meyer that there's times that, man, they were struggling financially. They had all kinds of problems. And you know what? They never got up and talked about it. They ministered out of the ability of God. They realized it wasn't about them and what they felt. The reason I love these guys is because you can count on them. We've been doing this for 21 years and we've never had a dud conference yet. They seem to get better every year. And you know, a lot of it's because these people right here know that they're anointed. They know the Word of God. They have faith and they're consistent and they believe in it. And there's times that sure, all of us may be more on our game than another But you know what? Every one of us recognize that, man, God's alive. Same thing with Dave Hinton, Don and Wendy. I've been with them around the world, and Don's never had a dud concert that I've been in. He may have had one some other time. But you know what? I've seen them under adverse circumstances. I've seen them in bad situations. Just love God and go on. And brothers and sisters, that's what you got to do. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. If it's not me living, but it's Christ living in me, then why can't our life always be consistent? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our inconsistency is just a testimony to our carnality, that we aren't walking in the Spirit. We aren't depending upon the grace of God, but instead we're in the flesh. Because God's never inconsistent. God's faithful to the max. If we are unfaithful, it's not because God hasn't touched us or isn't anointing us or isn't doing something it's because we aren't abiding in Him. So the issue is abiding in Him. Yes. Abiding in the love of God. That's good. Amen? Amen? I know a lot of people don't like that, but I do. This is how I've learned to live. And I hadn't arrived, but you know what? I've left and this is the direction I'm headed in and uh, it's working. Amen. Praise God. Well, God loves us. 
And it's always... And if you don't feel the love of God, then get in a mirror, look in a mirror and preach to yourself until you do feel and perceive the love of God. If you don't feel anointed, it's a lie. The truth is, he that hath called us and hath anointed us is God. And the anointing which we have received of him abides within us and it never leaves. You are never unanointed. There are just times you believe you're anointed and other times you believe you aren't anointed. But the truth is, God has always anointed us. And if you can get beyond your fears and your condemnation into faith, you're always anointed. God gave us a promise. We lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. If we would look at what God's word says instead of what we see and how we feel about it and get dogmatic, you know, you just go to seeing different results. Smith Wigglesworth prayed for people and he expected results. He didn't see it instantaneously, but he always expected the people to recover. And the story that I've heard reading his books is the first person he had ever prayed for that died of a disease was a woman who had cancer and he had prayed for her some months before. And he saw a mutual friend, asked him, says, how is... You know, so-and-so, the lady that he had prayed for. And he says, oh, didn't you hear? She died of that disease. And when he heard that, he fell over dead. That's when he died. Is hearing a report of a person he prayed for that did not recover, he fell over dead. You know why? Because he expected his prayers to work and he just wasn't used to handling that. Man, if we get that attitude... Where I'm blessed and I'm anointed and I lay hands on you, it's going to work. You know what? You go to seeing different results. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I just don't think there's an excuse for us to be as unbelieving as what we have been. And it's just because we don't understand the love of God. You go to dwelling in the love of God, focusing on His unconditional love. And I guarantee you, faith will take care of itself. Faith's not a hard thing. A little baby doesn't go around in their father's arms saying, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that my dad will not drop me. I confess he's going to feed me today. I confess that I am getting a bicycle when I'm four years old. You know, a little kid just trusts in their dad. It's all based on relationship. The reason we have to get God backed into a corner and pray and rebuke and get a hundred people to twist his arm and make it come to pass is because we don't have a good relationship. Amen or oh me. Father, we love you and we just thank you that you love us.